It's a peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Great to have you with us back on the program. And oh, we got a show for you. We got a show for you. Uh, some friends of ours from the Washington Post, they have a series called Blackout. And they're looking at black issues throughout uh, the world, uh, the sports world. Uh, and they put the crosshairs on coaching in the NFL. A couple of the authors will join us in a little bit. Kim Mulkey, uh, she cut her teeth as a great college basketball coach with Brittany Griner at Baylor. Uh, we will examine some things she has to say about, or the things she doesn't have to say about Brittany's uh, dilemma uh, with officials in Russia. But we're going to start off this situation with a story that just is just inter. I, I don't know if it's interesting or entertaining. What's the best way to put it, Kurt? Uh, infotaining, staggering. I like that infotaining. That's good. I like that one because it's it's, it's informing. But at the yeah. same time, it is entertaining. There's it's a part of this uh, this Brett Favre story. Yeah. Um, it doesn't bother me on the Favre side of it, quite honestly. You okay. get what you ask for, right? right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but as leadership, sometimes you got to st- stare even one of your favorite sons in the eyes and say either one of two things, right? I've done all I can do, Brett. We're, we're, <laughs> we're there. <laughs> or right. or uh, my man, you're going to have to reach in that pocket that I know still making money from them from the knee, those knee slides, those those sleeves oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> that you can do what needs to be done. And, and then Wranglers. Now, don't forget them Wranglers. The Wrangler jeans now. Come on now. You know? <laughs> One customer. Uh, here's a story. Uh, the Hall of Famer, Brett Farr, is suspected of pressuring Mississippi state officials to spend millions in federal welfare funds on a volleyball center at the school where his daughter played the sport. Uh, Apparently warning uh, the former governor, quote, we are not taking no for an answer in newly released text messages. Brett, stay off the phone. <laughs> man, have we not? Has he not hey, learned what text messages on, do for you? <laughs> yeah, we all know. Um, <laughs> last time. <laughs> gracious. Hey, man, here's silly, here's man. a quote for you. Uh, I'll give you a couple quotes. Uh, yeah. We obviously need your help big time. And time is working against us. And we feel that your name is the perfect choice for this facility. So he's doing it right, right? He's right, right, right. Uh, former governor, or then governor, uh, this is back in 2019, Phil Bryant, uh, to get this uh, volleyball center up at Southern Miss. Uh, another quote, we are not taking no for an answer. You are a Southern Miss alum, and folks need to know you are a supporter of the university. My man should work in uh, <laughs> fundraising over there. Mm-hmm. Um so the back and forth goes uh, from Bryant now. We're going to get it there. This is a great meeting. But we have to follow the law. I am too old for federal prison. Like he's he's letting it, he already letting know. It be he let you know what can go down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this exchange is a series of messages between Farmer and Bryant that were uh, filed Friday in District County Court. 
uh, by the ex-governor's lawyer. So um, Brian says he has no idea that a plan was hatched to divert funds uh, that was meant for needy families um, during this meeting. However, this is the reality and why we have the law involved. We, we, we know we've heard this uh, a while back. This is a story, Jax, that has been around for a while, but we never knew to the extent. I just remember it was something of that there was money that was taken or borrowed or given to, and Brett Favre had to pay money back. And I was just like, oh, okay, maybe that was a mistake, right? Was it, I thought it was, I think the initially it was for work or things that he was doing within the state that he was getting paid for, but never showed up for, right? Appearances. It was things like that. That's what it was kind of made out to believe a long time ago that he was getting paid for, you know, being an ambassador of the state of Mississippi and was taking money and, and didn't show up for a couple appearances, but still made the money. Then all of a sudden the money's paid back. I'm saying, okay, I get it. I understand that part, right? He missed some appearances. You pay the money back. But then as this, it just kept continuing to get, go deeper and deeper and it had these layers to it. And now you see it to a point where like Brett Favre, it seems, and we'll get more into it, was so hell bent on getting money for a new volleyball or whatever that he didn't care that the money was being taken from some of the poorest people. In Mississippi, we're talking about government welfare funds that was going to be given to the people that he wanted diverted to himself or to this project that he wanted. Mm-hmm. And that to me is a crime in itself. First of all, using the government funds, that's number one. But then thinking about just the Mississippi, right? right? Mississippi's been in the news over the last couple months, even longer, just about running water, pure running water, drinkable running water drinkable water that you can use we've seen the videos we've seen uh social media we've seen what's going on when it comes to water treatment in mississippi and now we have this hearing from what brett Favre was doing also to the uh, groups of people who depend on government assistance like that's what has stuck out to me and it's i think it's also brought this conversation up for a lot of people because there are issues that go on in America, and yet, for some reason, Jax, this one has seemed to be glossed over. Right. Not has it has not had the scrutiny that I think it deserves. Right. Where people are at the far of house demanding answers, and I think the biggest thing is, where is Brett Favre? Where is he at? He hasn't said it. He has not said a word. We have not seen him publicly. We not, have not seen him out and saying, hey, look, I was trying to do this. I was trying to do that. I never meant to. We haven't heard nothing from the Brett Favre camp or at least something to a point where it has stuck in my mind right now. It's his silence is more deafening, is more guilty than anything. So you got all these entities, right, that are mm-hmm. at play here from this 2017 original meeting to get this stuff done. And the problem is, is that one of the entities also caught red handed uh, is a lady by the name of Nancy new. And she's the founder of the nonprofit, the Mississippi community education center. And she has pleaded guilty 
uh, and is cooperating with investigators. Investigators. She was a part of this whole thing to begin with, and um, and she alleges that the opposite is true. That wow. uh, everything that uh, the Mississippi Department of Human Services executives, uh, Governor Bryant at the time, knew that Favre was looking for the funds from human services to build the facility, that he had learned that that's where there were some some funds and participated in directing, approving, or providing Favre with the money used to put this thing up. And so they got somebody that's involved now that's flipped and so this is going to be – there might not be anywhere to hide for long, Kurt. <laughs> and ain't, ain't nowhere to hide. It's all coming out now. And once you start getting people who start realizing that they could be implicated in this, and you you mentioned it earlier, you start talking Fed time, you talk about legacies, you talk about reputations. Yeah. Well, they're, uh, first they're starting with the civil suit. They're yeah. trying to, I think they're first trying to get the money, right? Correct. Tough to get mm-hmm. money from people in prison. But uh, because they haven't hit Brian or Favre with any criminal charges yet. Correct. But uh, but Favre is a defendant in this civil suit brought by the state. And they got 35 people on this thing. They're like, we're oh, going yeah. to we, get everybody in here uh, trying to recover misspent funds. Um, and this and the, these text messages, by the way, let's let's make this clear. Came from Texas. former Governor Bryant. It's like. Hey, now I'm gonna hey. let you know. I was clear about. I thought this was a bunch of, of hoot nanny, right? Is that something they would say? <laughs> yeah. He said, "Hey, bro, you got the wrong one. I was not involved. Uh, uh-uh. uh. He got the text message. Yeah, it's not a laughing me. matter, and I, I, I apologize. No, it's not a laughing matter. But hey, it's trust me, trust me. If someone said, "Hey, not today," he he is Governor Bryant for he is a uh, poster boy for. Hey, not me. You got the wrong one. I am not involved in this, but. Again, it's, it's it's one of our stars too. Um, Brett Favre is a star for many people right. around the country, and I think there is a sense, Jacks, of disbelief. Like, no, it can't be with Brett Favre, and now we're realizing that no, it it, it can be, it possibly can be, and it's how much do you go after your stars? Right, we love them when they're playing ball. We love them when they are when it benefits us or our entertaining need. But now when you see this is maybe criminal activity, right? You, you, you have to throw your fandom out the window. You got to no. throw all of that stuff out the window. And I think that's the hard part for people is throwing out the, the fandom and saying, man, he, he's probably giving me some of the best moments with my family. The best moments with my friends watching Brett Favre go play football in Green Bay on the Sunday or with the Jets or the Minnesota Vikings, whatever it is. Yeah. And yet you still have to uphold the law and you still have to. And I think, I mean, this is a tough comparison, but, you know, this is what's, what's talked about, especially in the black community, how we look at what Michael Vick was convicted of, which we don't agree with, convicted of dogfighting. That was horrible. He did federal time for it. He's repented. He's, he's, we've done everything possible. And he still continues to be uh, a part of the community of, to, to, to be against dogfighting. And he said, look, I, I learned my lesson. I paid my dues. I paid whatever. I did whatever I had to do. And I'm still advocating. And he has come out and said that. Michael Vick did. And he was scrutinized. He was, it was on TV every day. It was it was bad. 
I, I still don't know how he recovered from it. But I look at this with Brett Favre, and no, it's not dogfighting. But man, if it ain't taking money, if it ain't taking food, if it ain't taking opportunity away from the people who need it most, right. that's that's still something you you, you like. Now I I don't care who you are, Brett Favre or Joe Blow. I, I don't care. Like that is a punishable offense that should require punishment to the max. I don't care. Uh, who as we noted are. in in county court, it's going to be civil. Um, the, yeah. the the feds are involved. Are they, are they, they are involved. Now. Let's not They're get it wrong. Now, now Farber said I didn't do anything wrong through his lawyer, mm-hmm. but his lawyers made it clear uh, the FBI's been around. They, they've they done some. In, they've done some some interviewing. And uh, listen, there, there's no indication where it's going to go. Right? You start taking state and federal money, and it's not applied properly. Um, the posse will come get you. Yeah, just like them PPP loans. Yep. <laughs> just, hey man, just like it. Just a matter of time. Just a matter of time. Let's take a quick break. We'll stay in the realm of football, even though this is really a volleyball story with a football great. When we come back, um, Dave Shinen and Michael Lee, a part of a writing team from the Washington Post that did a deep dive, three-decade investigation. <laughs> into head coach hiring practices in the National Football League. Uh, If you feel like this is something you've heard before, check yourself because it's going to go much deeper and uh, a reality check for all of us when we come back here on Forward Progress. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. This is a wonderful subject, a horrible situation, but a great thing that has been led to us uh, to break down here on Forward Progress. Uh, the article of last week in the Washington Post is entitled uh, Blackout, How the NFL Blocks Black Coaches. Uh, a wonderful look at the beginning. You start kind of in 89, make the way uh, as uh, Art Shell is hired as the first black head coach in the National Football League how it took over a decade to really get any traction of coaches, even with the Rooney rule in to really start getting opportunities, even just to hire top coordinators, top uh, assistants. And, and then there was a little bit of a push uh, mm-hmm. in the two thousands, but that push compared to counterparts uh, just pales in comparison. So in 33 years since coach shells hiring 24 other head coaches have been black in that realm. And Kirk, we're talking about 191 hirings at all in that time. Mm. Uh, For more on this deep dive, why they went there and what they found, uh, let's say hello uh, from the Washington Post to Dave Shinen, uh, one of his partners uh, on the story. Michael Lee will hopefully join us uh, if technology will allow. David, uh, carry this load for us, my man. First, start off with why did you all feel like what was the jump off point? You know what? Let's let's study this right now. Yeah, this is a great question. And uh, first of all, thanks for having us on to talk about this. Um, I think that, you know, the Brian Flores lawsuit was definitely a, a news hook that um, gave us sort of the impetus to, to get started on something bigger. Um you know, it, 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 it shouldn't have taken that. I mean, th- this should be in the front and center of every discussion about the NFL. But, you know, the way the news industry works, you get a big story like that, a news hook to, to, to move you along. 
And then it was a matter of how to best tell this story. And, and from the beginning, I think we wanted it to be um, not just another story on this issue, which comes up every hiring cycle and then goes away. We wanted this to be definitive. And, you know, I, I think the best decision we made was to go down two paths at the same time, parallel paths, one with the cold, hard data that would show the various ways in which this is a systemic problem in the NFL, and, and then marry that with the, the human element on video of uh, the 16. We Ultimately, we got 16 of the 24 living Black uh, NFL head coaches to go on video and tell their stories. So I think the power in, in, the, in the project was in the marriage of, of the cold, hard data that's indisputable with the, you know, the warmth and human touch of, of those videos. I think for you, you said the data. And the data obviously is going to scream out because it gives the numbers that people try to shy away from and say, no, 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 no. The NFL is great and they give everybody an opportunity, but the numbers tell you differently uh, for both of you guys, if that's okay. What, what number for you was the one that struck you the most that you think is the real tale of what the NFL has to change? Mike, you want to take that one? Yeah. I think the one that stood out to me is just what's happened in the last five years. I think that's really where, you're starting to see a shift um, in, you know, the lack of opportunity for black coaches. Um, there were five black coaches hired over five seasons, and three of them only lasted two years. One lasted four, and the other one lasted three, and now it's Brian Flores. So even if you're getting opportunities, you're not getting the opportunity for very long, and it doesn't seem like you have a fair shot when you are given that chance. So. And I think that these last five years and seeing guys like David Culley, who had to wait 42 years to get a head coaching job, getting one season, um, I think you see a lot of frustration among black coaches in that even if we do pay our dues and do all that's required of us, um, we still don't even get a fair shot when we get it. I tell you, I've got a if I can if I can give two, uh, the one two that stood out to me, first of all, the interims. Uh, black mm-hmm. black men are 13 yes. percent of all hires of full time in the NFL, but 29 percent of interim hires. OK, which tells you immediately that owners clearly feel like they can check off a box and turn over a crappy team that's 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 dying on the vine with four games left. Turn it over to a black guy, uh, give him a, a, a so-called head coaching shot and, and then and then take it away from him at the end of the year. You know, that stood out to me. And then the other one was uh, the, the simple fact that a black coach who wins nine plus games gets fired at basically the same rate as a white coach who wins six plus. And that, to me, is is probably the most damning statistic in, in the entire project. Talking about hiring practices for head coaches in the National Football League from the Washington Post. It's Michael Lee. It's Dave Shine. And, uh, gentlemen, talk to us about performance. There's probably a group of people maybe listening to us or will see one of the audio graphics we put up that'll just talk about, well, let's talk about now. Let's not talk about the past, what has happened. Let's talk about now. How do black coaches fare against their counterparts once they have opportunities in the league? Well, I mean, the, the data shows it's, it's essentially equal. There's, there's very little difference. Um, there's been some variance over the years, but um, when you look at the full data set, it, it, there's no difference whatsoever. What's different is how they are evaluated. And 
you know, it's absolutely clear from the data that there's a, a, a separate higher standard for black coaches. As I just said, you know, uh, black coaches who, who win nine or more games are fired at the same rate, essentially, as, as white coaches who win six plus. Um, it's absolutely a double standard and, and it's indisputable. Yeah, I mean, if you look at a guy like Lovey Smith, uh, you know, he led the Bears to the Super Bowl. And he mentioned uh, during our conversation that he got fired at 10 and six. You know, there's a whole call as you expect. That call after 10 wins is not the one effect. <laughs> and then when you go just to the modern era, Brian Flores, he had back-to-back winning seasons. The first Dolphins coach to have back-to-back winning seasons in nearly 20 years. I think we yeah, lost Michael there. Yeah, I yeah. think so. But I mean, he he he's he's got a point. You know, there there you know there there's a it's a, it's a long distinguished list of of black coaches who have been fired after winning seasons. You know, Tony Dungy's on that list. Art Shell is on that list. You know, um, the Lions fired Jim Caldwell uh, and 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 are still trying to get back to to where he had them <laughs> before he was fired. Um, you know, and then Todd Bowles responsible for the only season for the Jets this entire decade. You know, I, I'm glad to, that you two are on because I hadn't had a chance to really convey this to to Jax just yet, to Jason. But something also happened in the NFL uh, a week ago after week two. And it kind of, it, it kind of got glossed over. It was like, oh, the guy just needs help. It's okay. It's okay. But in the back of my mind is that, I can only imagine if a black head coach in the NFL needed help. And what I'm talking about is Nathaniel Hackett. He's the brand new head coach for the Denver Broncos. Well, in the first two weeks of the season, he has been horrendous when it ter- in, in terms of game management or being able to monitor the clock or monitor the situation or monitor his decisions. So the organization decided to hire Jerry Rossberg, who is his game management coach, hire a game management coach on his first year on the job. Now, one of the the negatives or one of the criticisms about black coaches is he's not ready yet or he's not prepared yet. And so I saw this last week in the National Football League, and I'm kind of saying, had that been a black head coach and you had to hire someone for him? it will be another knock against black head coaches. But now he's looked upon differently as a white head coach. Nathaniel Hackett is that, oh, I just had a lot going on. I needed just a little bit of help. I mean, I'm sorry to throw this on you guys, but I just felt like it's something that needed to be talked about because I think that you get sort of the, uh, the varying contrast between how people look at the situation because of the color of the skin of a head coach. Yeah, I think one thing that can be uh, overstated is that it's a tough job that being an right. NFL head coach is hard um, no matter who's in that position. Um, but the, the issue is, do you have the support of the organization when you're in that slot? And for me, I look at it the other way. The fact that they're willing to hire somebody to help them in that regard meant that they're behind them and they support right. them. Uh, when you look at a guy like Steve Wilkes, who was given one year with the Cardinals, exactly. they clearly didn't support him. And he was sort of seen as a stopgap, you know, between what between hires, same situation with David Cully. They weren't the guys that they really wanted to hire to begin with, but to scratch off a box and say, yeah, we hired a black coach. And I think that when you have a commitment to a coach and you believe in what he's doing and what he can eventually do for your franchise, you're going to do whatever it takes to help him along the way. And if you don't, you will abandon them quicker than you would, say, a Nathaniel Hackett. Um, and so that, that's sort of how I look at it. It's not even just that, um, you know, they're, they're looking to help him. 
they aren't looking to support black coaches if it appears that they need some. And uh, that, that's where I think that you start to see a lot of differences. You can look at it from a number of ways. It's all foul. Um, but I think in this regard, um, you know, if, if a black coach is in a situation, I mean, think about David Culley with the Houston Texans. His star quarterback is sidelined for the entire season. <laughs> that team has no chance of winning any games. He wins four. But they overachieve and they fire him. So right. what, the, what kind of do you get from your organization when you're in that position? I, I honestly think that what the Broncos are doing is showing that, hey, we're going to die. And I don't think that you're going to spy that in a lot of situations with black coaches. And I don't want to speak, but I'm sure Vance probably would feel like he didn't have the support of that organization. Well, and I think the other thing that that's showing up here uh, is, you know, the 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 preference nowadays in the NFL for these young whiz kid head coaches, um, you know, who are offensive geniuses, so-called, you know, right. um, you know, we had a stat in the piece that, uh, that is, I believe there were, there's been 18 uh, un, under 40 head coaches hired since starting with Sean McVay and 17 of them have been white, 17 of the 18. Now Hackett, mm-hmm. it, Hackett was not hired at, at under 40. I, I think he's 42. He was probably hired at 41 or whatever, but the point is the same. He was still one of these young whiz kid uh, offensive minds, you know, from the Packers days and stuff like that. So the, those kind of opportunities, you know, come quickly to, to white offensive coaches nowadays in the NFL. And, you know, I, I, I'm not qualified to say how prepared Nathaniel Hackett is or, or isn't, but, you know, I think it's, it's, it's emblematic of, of this, of this trend that we're seeing in the NFL. Series that the Washington Post is black out this particular article that caught our eye, how the NFL blocks black coaches, uh, Dave Shinen and Michael Lee with us here on forward progress to talk about this. Uh, the NFL, uh, I, 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 I'm curious how that part of the story came to you all is the NFL can say, Hey, we put more teeth in the Rooney rule. We're all in with our players association on the public face of equity and inclusion uh what we what has occurred even under this commissioner's watch we're trying to get this stuff better uh did, are your findings that that truly is lining up now maybe over the last two years we'll shrink it down to that window uh or as the real hiring numbers tell us that that the the reality belies the desire well i think one thing you have to look at is that the nfl it's really 33 separate organizations. You have the 32 teams, and then you have the NFL. And I think you can hear from the mission in Troy Vincent's voice that the league itself takes its issue very seriously. The league is doing all that it, all that it can. It's uh, all these feeder programs, these mentor um, uh, programs. They want to have you know uh, qualified candidates in the room with owners to meet them. And they're coming up with a lot of these programs because they don't want – be blamed for this as the NFL. They really are pointing the finger at the potential owners because when it comes down to it, the NFL can make whatever suggestions they want. But in the end, it's just a suggestion. The owners are the ones who are in the power to make decisions. And right now, they don't feel like they have to or need to. Yeah, I mean, we, we did talk to people who honestly believe that Roger Goodell wants to fix this problem. He He wants his, you know, it's his legacy at stake. And he wants to be known as the commissioner that, you know, that fixed this uh, longstanding decades old problem um, and, and that he's just powerless to really make um, effective, real change. 
Uh, and there are other people who tell you that that that's not true, that that that, you know, he has more power than he's letting on, that the commissioner has ways of of twisting arms and making things happen behind the scenes. Um, and, and and for them to claim powerlessness is, is not, you know, is, is somewhat disingenuous. So, you know, you hear you hear both things there. I think what, what's hard to accept, though, is that, you know, if this if the entire problem comes down to the to the to the whims and desires of these owners you know then then how is anything ever going to change because these these owners are not going to um you know they're not i mean they're not going to sell these are family uh heirlooms that have been in their families for years and years and years they're they're not going to go sell you know so that that that's a that's a that's a tough way to look at it because that that almost feels hopeless. You know, we know nepotism is always alive and well in the NFL, and we've seen it throughout some of those hires as well. With that being said, how difficult have you seen it for black coaches? Even more so when you have a coach who's a friend or an uncle or a brother or a son. I'm looking at different coaching staffs where the Belichicks, right? His, his son's on staff, or we were just talking about Hackett. Well, his father was Paul Hackett, one of the great offensive minds in the NFL. How much does that also pigeonhole, I think, you know, black head coaches for that opportunity, but more importantly, push them to a point where they have to accept a certain job where it's no job at all? Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, it's funny, at one point, uh, we had a lot of this, this nepotism stuff in the, in the main piece. Um, and I think it just, it just got to be so, so long. And uh, there were so many voices that, um, right. that, you know, we had to, we had to cut some stuff and, and, and that could be a, a, an Avenue we explore in depth down the road in this project, because it is going to continue to roll out over the course of the fall, but it's absolutely true. And, and absolutely a problem. Um, it, and, and it gets back to the fact that, you know, there are all these pathways for white coaches to, to get to the head coaching a, a role. And, and that's one of them. That's that's a serious, significant pathway for from white coaches is, is nepotism, knowing somebody or being related to somebody. And, um, you know, it, it doesn't exist really for black coaches or, or certainly not in the same percentages. So that's just one more avenue that's cut off for, for black coaches. And, and I think that's, you know, worthy of exploration. Absolutely. And making sure that he put them in positions to succeed and he had opportunities. He said, I remember was up for a job, you know, as a, as a head coach, not as a coordinator, but he wanted to make sure his next job would be as a head coach. He made sure that Jim Paul was a coach in waiting in Memphis. I did make out one thing there that I, I know he was talking about Tony Dungy and, 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 and I think he was talking about Tony uh, setting up his assistants to succeed and, 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 and sparking a, uh, a network of his own to, to, to get his guys into head coaching jobs down the line. But I will also say that in regards to the nepotism issue, um, Tony Dungy's son, you know, um, gave up a career in coaching um much to tony's chagrin you know um right. be, because he didn't see the pathway for himself and and, and um you know th th there you have it i mean th there's there's your nepotism in reverse you know tony dungy's son said no I i'm getting out of this business because it's i don't see a pathway for me to be a head coach and so so that's 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 anti-nepotism right yeah 
David, I, we're running out of time uh, with you guys, but I want to give you an opportunity to give a shout out to your whole uh, writing crew and, and give a feel for the reach that you guys had to get to to get this all done. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I don't want to say this was a massive project, but the last time I looked, there were 65 people in our Slack channel at, at the office. That our, oh, our, wow. our message, yeah, you know, to, to and, and we're talking writers, editors, um, you know, graphics people, uh, data, uh, video, photo, um, it, it, you know, social media. It's um, it, it was a massive, massive effort. Um, and and you know, in terms of this piece, yeah, we, uh, Emily and Ents uh, did the the bulk of the data uh, dive. Um, Artur did the, the the graphics that you saw floating through that piece, uh, beautifully done. And um, you know, it, it, it's um, I, I've been at the post for twenty three years, and and it's the it's been the most rewarding experience of, of my career there, and, and the most collaborative. And um, I can't say enough about the, the people on the team who, who made this whole thing happen. You know, where, where do you see this thing going, though? I mean, obviously, this has been a great piece and it's opened up some eyes. And I think you may get more people who will start to follow it this next coaching cycle, because we know it's always going to be a new coaching cycle already. But I also and hopefully I don't we don't go too long on here, but. I also take think that the college level as well, seeing Herm Edwards, who just got got fired, you know, seeing some other coaches um, on the FBS level that needs to also I feel like that's where it should start. And the NFL can start taking lead because that's where everybody's pulling coaches from more. Yeah, you know, th there's um, there's great work to be done, certainly at the collegiate level, different. Uh, factors going in there obviously right. you know you don't have you don't have these old school owners but but you do have you know a lot of old school programs old school uh, ADs old school you know fan bases and boosters and and so a lot of these uh, a lot of these things are going to be are going to be going in the same direction if you look closely at college football but where this goes from here I mean I tell you one thing, you know, Peter King, who who was maybe the the ultimate NFL insider in terms of media, recently wrote something in his column, his weekly column, uh, that that essentially said that you know he thinks this this package that we put out is going to inform the next hiring cycle in the NFL uh, come next winter, um, which you know, I mean, if he if for him to say that, I think he he he's talked to people who who tell him that this this could be a game changer, you know, and and we hope it is. Um, you know, uh, um, you know, we, we, we can't really control that, I guess. But um, I, I think that something like this, when, when you see it in, in, in the cold data that we put out there and the voices, I think, you know, it can it can only serve to, to make things better. Thank you, guys. We really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Michael Lee, David Shinen, part of the crew that put together uh, how the NFL blocks black coaches, part of the Washington Post's blackout series. Gentlemen, once again, thank you. Thanks so much. As forward progress continues, a aspect of the Brittany Griner uh, saga, we'll call it, that might be really disappointing to her fans. We're taking it back to the college ranks for some insight. As forward progress continues. 
listening to Sirius XM Radio. Radio. Sirius XM is home to the best in podcasts, including I Am Athlete. Welcome to I Am Athlete, one of the pioneers of new media. We're leading a national conversation with game-changing interviews featuring cultural icons like Colin Kaepernick. There's nothing else like I Am Athlete. A safe space for the world's most popular athletes to discuss their passions, love life, money moves, mental health, culture, and so much more. Bottom line, the brand is going places. Come ride with us. I Am Athlete. Available now on the SXM app. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. Thanks for rolling with us all the way through Forward Progress this week. Uh, this one, Kurt, from a headline standpoint, just jumped off my phone the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the headline was, Brittany Griner's former Baylor coach offers callous response to a Russian detainment. And, um, wow. Listen, regardless of where she's been, Baylor, LSU, maybe even when she was coming up the ranks. I don't know. Right. But Kim Mulkey, <laughs> um, she she comes with it, right? She, she comes with and and she she's gotten some backlash over how hard and a little, you know, the bedside manner is not always awesome, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But you know how coaches are with their former players, right? It, it's it tends to be you don't love them all. I get it. Yeah. But Man, usually the great ones, the right? great you at least ones. figure out the <laughs> path in which their greatness and your approach came together for goodness. And and that's 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 where I would assume their relationship would be. That's my bad. That's yeah. my bad. I'm that we're making assumptions. Uh, but according to a report that came through, um the head coach at LSU now found her store itself in a storm of backlash after she failed to really comment on the two-time Olympic gold medalist imprisonment um, and nine-year sentence over drug smuggling and possession. Um, I think I think I have the exchange here. Uh, it was a press conference uh, on Monday as we take this on Wednesday. Uh, a reporter asked for Coach Mulkey's thoughts on Brittany Griner's situation. And she stated, I don't think I've seen anything from you on that. And coach quickly and coldly responded, and you won't. How would you describe that process of, of putting that collective group together? And then, too, I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on Brittany Griner's situation. And uh, I don't think I've seen anything from you on that. And just uh, can you, and you won't. I'll answer the first one for you. Now, that's all I had initially before I dove in these stories and started right. reading. And I was like, good Lord, that is cold. I mean, just, I mean, this woman played four years for you, led your team to two final four parents as a national championship. um, And, and you won't. And you won't. How did that hit you initially? Uh, You just how, for all the people who are listening, but I couldn't see my eyes. I had the big eyes. I had the whoa. Um, Because I think you mentioned it. This was a relationship between player and coach that was definitely, we talked about being mutually beneficial for both. Yeah. Brittany Griner was a star at Baylor. I mean, she's a star now, one of the great women's basketball players. But, man, I tell you this. I want, when Brittany Griner was in college, I wasn't turned on the TV to watch Kim Mulkey coach. <laughs> I'm just telling you. I was turned on to see Brittany Griner, who was dominant, who played the game with ferocity, intensity, 
blocking shots, scoring, driving, dishing, dunking. I mean, she did it all. And so I would think that at the least, Jax, at the least, you have a head coach that would say, you know what? I'm praying for Brittany and her family. I'm praying for this whole entire yeah. situation. Like the coach of Baylor who didn't have any connection really in playing, Correct. you know, coaching Brittany and, and having all that success together. But as the head coach of yes. the alma mater has the right tone and tenor. At least that's, that's all just yeah. show some bit of empathy to the situation. Um, whether you agree with the decision against Brittany or not, or what she um, was, what she pled guilty to in terms of uh, marijuana possession. Um, you say that, you know what? She, I love Brittany. She made a mistake. And I know she's going to be a better woman for this. I hate that she has to go through this, but I'm praying for her. I'm praying for her family. And I can't wait to see to the day she's back here. I, I can't wait. I'm going to be the first person. I mean, there's different ways you could have said that, but it just, it came off as cold. You asked me my initial reaction. I was like, it came off as cold, especially when you follow it up with, and, and you won't. Meaning that I'm, this is next question. That's another form of saying next question. I'm not talking anymore about it. And, and it can come from so many directions, right? Right. Like, e even if she just hasn't put herself in position, because coaches are myopic and crazy people, <laughs> that she didn't put herself in position to really get all the details, which would be striking. Yeah. That there's an angle there that you can give her benefit of the doubt and say, okay, I don't know enough about it to comment on it. That still would be on the outer edges of of not having a real, like, tone appropriate response like i get it that you're a badass right your your whole yeah. reputation is my way or the highway right no it, it may not be surprising her attitude her response but mm -hmm. i don't know maybe she's figured it out maybe she's got it figured out kids are going to play for me regardless <laughs> right yeah mitchell northman a sports writer tweeted quote i will never understand why kids want to play for her quote tweeting her response at the press conference. And that's the thing I'm always thinking about. Like you're as a head coach, you are nonstop recruiting. Correct. Always. Nonstop. Always. But she was at Baylor, had an undefeated team, went to the final four for a half decade, won a title. And um actually didn't she she won, won a couple actually with his all said and done, right? I think she won a couple. Um and now you're at LSU with with all the money the buy you can handle. <laughs> Right. And the kids are coming. This incident, another incident, old incidents, they're still coming. Because this is about dreams coming true. Correct. And as a head coach at a power five university with that type of history in that state and that region in that conference, uh, you will be a queen maker. Right. Like you are going to be in a position to do it all. Three titles in all for uh, three titles, Smoky, yeah. by the way. Um, but I mean, it would give me pause as a student athlete. It would give me pause, uh, as a parent, uh, but we're talking about dreams coming true and, and, uh, man, oh man. Now you dig it a little deeper, right? So you get off the initial reaction, you dig it a little Correct. deeper and you find out that the history between these two mm. is colorful. At best. But even with it, and I'll point out a, a thing or two here. 
is that it still doesn't require you to be callous in a moment of this magnitude. Correct. But apparently back in 2013, uh, Griner told ESPN that her college coaches, coaches didn't want players to be open about their sexuality because it could hurt recruiting. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she, she was very open uh, that um, they didn't condone it. That would strike me along the line of how Coach Mulkey kind of handles herself. But uh, at the time, Griner said, quote, I told Coach uh, she was when she was recruiting me, I was like, I'm gay. I hope that's not a problem. And she told me that it wasn't. I mean, my teammates knew, obviously. They all knew. Everybody knew it. And at the time, uh, Mulkey responded to her former player's comments uh, about a unwritten law in a statement from the university uh, saying that, you know, BG had represented Baylor proudly on and off the court and she leaves behind an incredible legacy. But at the time, she noted that she couldn't comment on personal matters surrounding any student athletes, but could tell you Brittany will always be celebrated by the Baylor family. Now that is a well-crafted diplomatic, diplomatic. probably doesn't align with her personal beliefs. But that's what you put out <laughs> dynamic there. Yeah. She wasn't that's doing the, it now. That's the business relationship, right? Um, that you can say that, but obviously you, there are some things behind that she left out probably because didn't want to stir the pot up anymore. So maybe that is some of the tension that still lingers over between the two, but I still don't think it's something that should keep her from bringing, giving some sort of support to Brittany, regardless of the situation. Yeah. I mean, like hit her, hit her with just something. I mean, any, some, anything, anything like, Hey, you know what? We, we're connected. We're joined at yeah. the hip. I, I saw one article. One article that noted: Can she get thoughts and prayers? Yeah, that's all I want. That's Jax. That's all I want. Just thoughts and prayers to the situation, to her family. Her, I want you more. Know, I want kid. more. You do all that together, and you just mad because she hollered it at how you all <laughs> like to take uh, sexual preference and smoke screen mm-hmm. it, so that the parents don't get all weird about it. You know, I mean, imagine at this stage, like. What parent? I mean, you're gonna have some. I get that, right? But you no, know, can't talk. That, that, that's people. not her brand. Come on, she can't. Man. She can't talk about that down in Baylor, LSU. She can't say that. <laughs> you know, hey, recruiting comes first. Yeah, well, I don't. I don't speak on that stuff. Yeah, all right. Whatever the case may be, my man. Great to have you back. Good to see you. How's Absolutely. how's the good iron treating you? Yeah, with the good iron treating me great, man. I've been all, all right. over and been fun. Got some you know college football playoff expertise so i'm I'm good yeah. man i can't wait for the season to continue on and see where it goes bring me that big playoff early come on <laughs> i heard about I that did. secret meeting that come secret meeting is fun man that yeah. big playoff early I need it right now i need it now not next year uh listen uh that's going to do it for us this week we'll talk to you next time my man that's kirk morrison Renell brown a special thanks to dave shining and uh, michael lee for swinging by Uh, from the Washington Post. Uh, Be safe out there, and we'll talk to you next time on Forward Progress.
Forward Progress is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.